See, my head says Andrew Lux, I'm with you. He's loved around the league. Everyone's going to be hoping that he looks good. I think he only has to be passable, huh? Passable to, uh, to, <laughs> to actually get it. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. It's finally here! Football's finally here! Real football is finally here! Oh, I'm so excited. This is the most exciting thing that's happened to Connor this year. (laughs) (laughs) So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters. Uh, It's Connor here, we've got Harry. Hello. And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? I am doing alright. Down in Cork. Uh, kind of getting getting that chill, you know. Autumn's coming or fall for our American listeners, and yeah, I'm ready for football. I'm ready for a bit of fun, and uh, we're ready to do some fantasy drafting live during this. So if there's any unexpected interjections or uh, swearing, uh, please forgive us because obviously you don't care because it's someone else's fantasy league. Yeah, it should be fun now. So we're going to try and all three of us are in this league, so we're going to try and draft that while we're talking to you here live. Uh, how about yourself, Harry? Any crack? Uh, not much. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned it before, I got promoted at work again, or well, I have promotion that's going to be confirmed very soon at work anyway. Uh, so that's, you know, interesting. Lots more to do, a bit more money, hopefully, although work are very bad at paying people, so we won't get into that because, you know... Ha, there's a pending workplace relations commission complaint. <laughs> Not from me, but there is. Hilarious. I hope they lose. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> that's my story. Uh, yeah, well well hyped and psyched for simultaneous podcasting and drafting, which definitely won't be a disaster that won't result in me drafting the entire Cleveland Browns for the third time this year. Yeah, I was going to say, like those times you did it, you weren't even distracted. It just seems to be a thing that you're going for. They all fell to me. They were such good value. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they of course. were all the Cleveland Browns. Mm. Uh, yeah, no other wild story of myself as we got married since I was on the podcast last, so that was good fun. Had the Perrys down at the do, so that was, uh, I think, lots of drink and a lot of dancing and a lot of cracks, so that was uh, that was good cracks. So now uh, we're on to a new year, and we've obviously got a bit of a backlog of some of the stuff to cover off from uh, up this far, because we have mostly just been doing previews and ignoring the news. So we're going to fly through some of the bigger bits, skim over some of the stuff that you've heard about already and you don't really care about anymore. So big news, I suppose, this week. Uh, Chicago traded for defensive end Khalil Mack uh, for... Uh, 2022nd and conditional 2025th for the two first round picks uh, and a third round and a sixth round I believe uh, Khalil Mack who was a defensive player of the year two years ago has in long standing contract negotiation issues with the Raiders John Gruden had uh, apparently not spoken to him since February or March of this year uh, they couldn't come to an agreement so they decided at the last second to trade him uh, this has obviously gone quite Badly in the eyes of a lot of the Oakland Raider fans and a lot of other people's ideas because we're looking at what would probably be considered a Pro Bowl to very top level player uh, that they're deciding to get rid of in his prime. This is going to help the Bears' defense get stronger. They've now got a lot of play, a lot of playmakers on that defense and a lot good chunk of uh, pass rush coming on there. And John Gruden's Raiders seem to be in free fall because this is a week and we'll discuss it in a bit. The other things happened to make even more confusing what their plan is. Uh, so what do we make of this trade, winners and losers? Um, losers, Oakland, Gruden. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, this is this is insane. What is, like, it's one thing to like bring in all these veterans like John Gruden is doing when you want to, you know, you're in win now mode and you're like, oh, we'll take the short term hit and bring in veterans. He's bringing in a load of washed up guys and releasing his best young players or trading his best young players. This is crazy. Like, picks are overvalued. This is, an insane overvaluing of picks. 
Like, they couldn't even get two... They were like, oh, you want two first rounders, you want two first rounders, and they ended up making these little bitty trades as well to get it through. It doesn't matter. Like, Khalil Mack was the only good thing about that defense. Yeah. Like, the only good thing about that defense. This is really confusing. Like, John Gruden's, and as we'll talk about later, like, the, the moves they have made have been baffling in the trade market so far. And this is just another one that indicates that John Gruden doesn't really understand football anymore like he's been away for so long this kind of stuff is crazy and it's crazy there's nobody in the ownership or front office that is willing to disagree like this team is going to be moving this team is going to be trying to attract a new type of fan and you're getting rid of your exciting pieces that you can build around because i don't know like the fact that gruden hadn't spoken to mac speaks volumes and this is the kind of thing that we saw back with the uh, marquette king stuff that oh maybe john gruden isn't actually that good at managing people yeah turns out right yeah so like there's a couple of bits to this obviously there's kind of divisions that appear to be happening in the back end of this was a gruden decision not a mckenzie decision and there's issues surrounding that and who actually gets to run the team is it the guy who's meant to be the gm or is it the guy who's just gotten a hundred million dollars to come out of retirement to look after them uh, he has a bit of a track record of this but interestingly i read online that this now makes the oakland raiders not just the oldest um not just the oldest roster in the nfl but the oldest roster that they have as far back as records go with an average age of i think 27.8 so this is a team that's getting older getting slower losing their best pieces and then to top it all off um, Ronald I'll come to you on this they also they traded for Martavius Bryant in the offseason just after the draft they have now cut him before he's played a snap because they're expecting him to go and I want to, to get suspended although he has not yet been suspended so there's he's actually floating out there as a free agent and then they traded a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick to pick up a quarterback that was going to get released almost certainly from the Bills team this from the Bills like what, Roland? Can you help at all? I just don't get this. Like some people are saying, it's a build for the future move. That if their defense is bad with Khalil Mack, that's not getting better anytime soon. So this is what's needed. But like this, this just confuses the shite out of me. Yeah, and that's not even including the kind of special teams weirdness that happened in terms of getting Marquette King and also cooking, like kicking and getting rid of a like a pretty good, good first year kicker who's obviously you can get for peanuts. So it's 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 all like yeah, like that kind of analysis. Oh yeah, like the defense wasn't good with Mac there like that's the kind of analogy you might expect from Reddit not from like a head coach <laughs> yeah a hundred million dollars over 10 years if that's the reasoning then that's absolutely feckin stupid basically. oh yeah and like look like like obviously Gruden he, he, he obviously didn't want to reach out to him. maybe Gruden wants to say like I'm in charge of this team this is the this is the John Gruden Raiders more or less basically it doesn't really matter where they are and you know Basically, he maybe he believes Cleo Mack wasn't giving them enough respect, or giving like like going out here or asking for too much money. And the indications that they're making now is that the difference in the amount that the Bears gave him, which is like the, the largest defensive contract, and what they would have given him was very very significant. And that makes no sense because obviously just a couple of days ago, like Aaron Donald got like the money that he was expecting uh, from that, and no one no one really said that that was a bad deal. Like I think like you know the Oakland Raiders. You don't. You have a lot of old wood. You don't have that many young players you have to pay. Like maybe like like a Mary Cooper. That's someone who like will probably want money, but maybe isn't worth it. Like there isn't a huge queue of people who you have to pay in the future. Like with a team yeah. which has lots of talent. So why are you getting rid of your one player? Why are you afraid of dedicating money to an elite defensive star? It just it makes no sense. And like yeah, I think like when you look over all the things that Oakland have done over the course of this off season, the main thing that you take away is, is the idea that this is not a place 
which is stable, not a place yeah. where there's some identity, the, and, and a place where you feel like John Gruden is more invested in bolstering his own, uh, bolstering his own um, opinion of himself and the opinion in the league than he is in actually running a successful football team. Yeah, no, of course. Well, obviously, we'll talk about it as the league year continues because I imagine we'll be putting a number of dumpster fire games <laughs> together with this with this group. Um, there is also, and we'll discuss it at a later point. Uh, some people have suggested that potentially the reason that this took till now is that they were planning to get rid of them all along. But given this is their last year in Oakland, they wanted to make sure they got their ticket sales in with players still there before they started unloading them because they didn't want to lose a year's worth of revenue by showing everyone all in advance of the season that it was going to be a rebuild and not a competitive year. So there's that element to it as well. Um, we'll move on. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, interestingly, just signed with Nike as the face of a Just Do It campaign. Uh, the response has been, as you would imagine, batshit insane. People have been running the Just Burn It hashtag, uh, setting gear on fire, cutting it up. And I believe some have even managed to set fire to the gear while they were still wearing it. Uh, this obviously <laughs> follows a summer while Kaepernick was uh, involved in the collusion case, which the court system has now decided they are going to allow them to continue to pursue. And as well as at the backdrop of the national anthem protest controversy and the new policy the NFL has in that they're then going to be being challenged by the NFL Players Association about. So we're seeing a bit more of a movement of uh, belief that there could be some positive outcome to this court case system that they're allowing it to continue. We're seeing pushback from the NFL PA on the anthem stuff. And now we're seeing Nike deciding that it is worth their while to put Colin Kaepernick as the face of their brand. Uh, is this a turning point of sorts? Uh, uh, I think it's it's good marketing for Nike. Like They basically dominated... Um, the the base of the news cycle, and it's obviously got a very strong reaction. That uh, the, the stock market's down by two percent today, though. Today, though, so I don't know if it's too good for the bottom line. But like, obviously, this is happening, you know, against the backdrop where where the Kaepernick thing. Obviously, he he hasn't really made a lot of public statements, and I think that's obviously a deliberate choice on his part not to kind of get, you know, like basically if you if you do an interview, you're likely to get you know uh, hoisted upon your own petard in the opinion of the news media. But he keeps his own counsel. Let's basically his continuing absence from the league do its own talking uh, for the most part. And, you know, his collusion case continues to go through. Obviously, there was a lot of testimony that got released over the summer. Uh, some of it uh, pretty damaging. Some of it, about, like, you know, saving face, like John Elway, for example, saying, well, we offered him a contract, you know, for peanuts uh, and he didn't take it. So, you know, that's my opinion there. Um, and, of course, this is all happening with that suspended national policy uh, national anthem policy out there of you know the league saying that players can choose to stay in the locker room and protest effectively or come out and stand and that being suspended and obviously currently in negotiations with the NFLPA etc um, so like you know after what was it like two years of this it hasn't gone away it's only got more and more and more important obviously with the political situation in America and you know Kaepernick is a man who has never been more relevant how many backup quarterbacks or like you know marginal starting quarterbacks are talked about two years after they've left the league or not playing in the league not very many but Kaepernick is on track to be someone notorious both inside and outside the league for many years to come and long may it continue considering what he stands for yeah no of course yeah so I, I agree with what Ronan's saying I think this is um, smart by Nike at the end of the day uh, from that perspective and apparently they kept didn't just sign him they kept him the whole time pretty much uh, and had him signed quietly and now just decided to, to push him onto this uh, campaign that they're doing. In terms of the reaction, I think it's pretty much what we've seen from the usual crowd of idiots burning their clothes, chopping them up, and so on. So that, that isn't particularly interesting from my perspective, because I think that's the same shit we see them do several years 
with Kaepernick's jerseys and all this crap. But what I do think is important is this, this grievance thing going ahead. And obviously the judgment that was issued, or rather the dismissal of the motion for summary judgment put forward by the NFL, um, basically indicates that they feel there's enough evidence for the case to go ahead and uh, for them to get further depositions and move forward that way. So I think that's interesting. It doesn't say that there's in anything definitive, but it says that the judicial system on the arbitrator sees enough smoke to warrant uh, a further look. Um, and that in and of itself is a hugely significant step, and it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out, particularly given some of the um, issues the owners have had keeping things quiet over recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really, I'm, this is going to be a really telling thing. And I mean, John Elway's, oh, we offered him a contract. Like, that was when he was still under contract with San Fran. That was at a different, a different point in this story. Um, so you can already see people are scrambling to cover for themselves. Um, so, yeah, what comes out is going to be really interesting. And to be honest with you, um, this could be a huge sticking point, regardless of what happens going forward into those CBA negotiations that are coming up in the next couple of years. Because without that, um, sorry, with those with those in place, and with the this obviously affecting more players than just Kaepernick, there are still guys who are still protesting the, uh, during the anthem, who are still uh, taking a knee or raising their fists for social justice guys like Malcolm Jenkins or Jarrell Casey. That's still, this is going to be an issue, and this is going to be an issue that's going to continue. And with the mishandling of the policy by of the anthem policy we've seen from the NFL recently, this is not going away. And this is just a further reminder, I think, that as much as they'd love us to all just forget about it, and we see Fox not broadcasting the anthem now, apparently this year, and all this shit, it's going to keep, it's going, to keep going. And um, yeah, I hope Kaepernick wins. I think that will make things more interesting. And fuck you! <laughs> So in the background, I just took uh, the player that I think uh, Harry had his eye on yeah, for the next yeah, time around. Sure, fuck it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I suppose we'll have a little look at some of the um, some of the contracts that have come out since we were speaking last. So a couple of very large ones have turned up. Uh, I suppose the main one is going to be that Aaron Rodgers is now like, the most paid person in the world ever. Uh, he got an extension to his contract. Four years, $134 million, $103 million guaranteed. I think he's due to have something like $85 million of that paid to him uh, before like St. Patrick's Day this year. So that's a huge yeah. amount of money. But obviously, he is the best at what he does versus maybe Tom Brady, but very different stages in their careers and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like, it's a lot of money, but it's probably the best spent money they could have yeah i mean look if you've got a guy like rogers you've got you've got to pay him like this team we've seen what happens to this team without aaron Rodgers. we discussed it on the preview pods what happens to this team without aaron Rodgers? he is essential and with the market being what it is now with the um kirk cousins contract basically resetting that over the off season this kind of payday was was going to come green bay aren't going to let him go i think the entire front office and uh, coaching staff know that if they were to fail to reach an agreement with Rodgers and he were to end up leaving, that's them done as well. Mm. So th- this makes sense. Um, it's Obviously, it's an obscene amount of money, but that's what we've seen top quarterbacks and top players get paid this offseason uh, and going back the last few years, to be honest with you, in terms of the quarterback market. So it makes sense. It's the only way they're going to stay competitive. It's the only way they're going to stay a top team. You, you've got to pin a guy like that down. Like that, He is a yeah. generational talent, and you cannot take that for granted. Yeah, so you, which, uh, the New York Giants decided to lock down Odell Beckham. He gets a five-year, $90 million extension, $65 million of that guaranteed. Very rich contract, but he is one of those players that you got to imagine he's going to be a holdover element for that team as they transition away from Eli Manning in the coming years into a new team. So that seems to make sense, right, Ron? Yeah, no, like I think Odell Beckham, it's not just 
his production on the field and you almost imagine how much he would have made if he'd not had that injury last season yeah you could almost probably add another 10 million to this nearly but i think it's odell beckham is the identity and the brand of the new york giants now like eli manning's obviously not going to be there much longer based on his current talent level and odell beckham's going to become the face of that franchise because there's no quarterback willing to step in so if they had let him go you would have had basically a Mac situation basically and thankfully the New York Giants are a smarter organization with a you know generally a smarter owner as well uh, and a you know suitably recognized at Odell Beckham Jr. that you know they need to keep talent like that in the in the building even to just make sure that Eli Manning doesn't go out in a, you know in a terrible situation and you know given what he's done his first three seasons there's no reason to believe that he can't continue to be that player like whatever about his kind of persona and stuff like that that when he gets on the field and he wants to play he's the best, one of the best wide receivers in the league and that can help any uh, quarterback look a lot better and that's probably going to be needed in that in that city uh, over the next few seasons yeah of course the LA Rams decided that they wanted to pay a whole lot of people so there's a lot of money flying out the door there defensive tackle Aaron Donald gets a six year 135 million dollar contract at 70 million guaranteed he spent about two days as the highest paid defensive <laughs> player until uh, the Khalil Mack deal got done Todd Gurley gets a four-year, $60 million extension with $45 million guarantees, which, to be honest, should be quite interesting in relation to the Le'Veon Bell holdout. Uh, and Brandon Coast gets a five-year, $80 million deal with $57 million guaranteed. And right tackle Haverstein gets a four-year, $32 million extension. So a lot of money flying out the door there. There's obviously lots of other uh, teams that have had some extensions. Dwayne Brown for the Seattle Seahawks, Stefan Diggs for Minnesota Vikings, etc. Uh, Geno Atkins in Cincinnati. But, you know, I think you've heard a lot of them already. Those are probably the main ones. Yeah. Uh, like the main... Like the main thing to take away from the ones with Taylor Lewan, Jake Matthews, Dwayne Brown, um, tackles are getting paid still. Even Dwayne Brown, like a 34-year-old coming off, who only had like six games like last season, he gets like over 10 million a year. Like and you know Taylor Lewan and Jake Matthews, they're pretty good tackles, but are they like elite Joe Thomas level left tackles? Probably not. But they still got you know five-year 80 million, five-year 72 million. You know, if you're a good, if you're a good offensive lineman in the league today, and Ron Hamilton there as well, you're going to get paid a lot of money at the moment. Teams are very desperate. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, we'll have a look at some of the transactions now that have taken place. So New Orleans are the guys who decided to buy in on Teddy Bridgewater. They've given a third round pick to the Jets for him, and in exchange, they're giving a sixth round pick back to them. That's a great bit of business from the Jets, isn't it? Like to take a guy who like no one knew what he was uh, he's obviously not their future because they have him in a one year rental they get his money off their books and they can pick up a third round draft pick in the way that's great but a bit of work from them right it is yeah um, it, it makes sense I think we knew for a while that Teddy was going to be traded the team really seemed very bet into to, to, uh, their rookie I'm very surprised by the landing spot I would not have had him going to the Saints um, by any stretch of the imagination um, and I can kind of see the logic though. Drew Brees is getting older. Bridgewater isn't that expensive. We saw during the preseason that he's still pretty decent, although it didn't look spectacular out there. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice move by the Jets. It's a nice move for, for Bridgewater. I think it makes sense for everyone involved. Mm. Although, like I said, I'm a little surprised that there wasn't a more QB-hungry team involved rather than somebody who was looking uh, at him as like a kick the tires see if this guy might be a potential future yeah. replacement down the line yeah it's particularly interesting because like he doesn't really have an opportunity to start barring injury there so it's it's an interesting one and also it's a one year contract so they're going to have to give him an extension if they want to have him be the, the, the bridge afterwards also we mentioned earlier Oakland traded for AJ McCarron from Buffalo because why the fuck not uh, there's lots of other little bits but I think that's for the most part uh, what we'll be looking at from our trade negotiations uh, Washington after a couple of injuries signed running back uh, Adrian Peterson he's poised to 
take the start after the Darius Geis injury. Uh, this is an interesting setup for them. Do we think that Peterson still has anything left in the tank? No. Uh, <laughs> he's probably better than Rob Kelly and Sam J. Pirine. That's about it. <laughs> but of course, one other interesting fact is that um, you know the safety market was incredibly soft throughout the entire offseason. But Trey Boston and Kenny Vaccaro uh, both got signed. Eric Reed, of course, still not signed due to his, uh, you know, additional collusion case in addition to Kaepernick. But you know, both of those signed one year, like one million contracts. That came gives you an indication that for whatever reason, like decent starting safeties, at least in Trey Boston's case, Kenny Vaccaro maybe a bit more iffy. You know, there's just there doesn't seem to be much value placed at the moment, which is weird because you know with the you know with the proliferation of like you know five defensive backs, etc., you'd think they'd have a bit more value, but. Such it is, such as it was for the safety market this year. Hopefully, they'll have better luck next year. Yeah, of course. Er, er, Errol Thomas, of course, been another situation where no, no one was willing to put up any major money to get him, uh, major trade capital to get him. Yeah, uh, this off season. And the LA Chargers are reunited with Antonio Gates, who's coming in after the Hunter Henry injury. Uh, he played basketball. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, this is yeah. weird. That we predicted that several times, yeah. but. Uh, Welcome back, Antonio. We had a couple of releases. We mentioned Martavis Bryant already gone, Paxton Lynch, Coney, Braxton Miller, Michael Floyd, a few people like that. Uh, surprise one, maybe kicker uh, Dan Bailey from Dallas being gone, but I think he's just costing them too much from what they were saying. Mm. Uh, and in the supplemental draft, New York Giants selected cornerback Sam Beal for a third-round pick who is now injured and will not be playing. Um, Washington took Adonis Alexander with the sixth-round pick as well. Um, that'll move us on to injuries. In terms of injuries, the LA Chargers have already been hit by the bug. Cornerback uh, Jason Verrett has a torn Achilles out for the season, and safety Jalen Watkins is out for the season. San Francisco lost their running back Jarek McKinnon with an ACL. Washington lost Darius Geis with the ACL. Jacksonville lost Marquise Lee with his knee, who's gone for the season, and Tennessee lost Jonathan Cyprian for the season as well. These are a number of players who are expected to be contributors for these teams. Which do you think will have the biggest impact? Um... Well, I see. I think I think San Fran are going to be okay. Uh, I think between Morris and Breida, they'll be able to put something together. Um, I think then this goes back to saying that Adrian Peterson isn't. I don't have it anymore. I don't think. Uh, I think losing uh, Geis in Washington is a huge blow because, as mentioned, as was mentioned before, that running back committee is just not good at the moment. You've got Chris Thompson, who's a very talented pass catcher, but there's now nobody really there who is going to run the ball. And this is still an Alex Smith-led team. You need a run game. He needs a run game to get going because he struggles when the entire team is put in his back. And considering what they're paying him and Washington's sort of bizarre rebuild slash win now phase that they've been going through for the last Mm. God knows how long, I think that's a huge, huge blow to the direction this team was going to take. So for me, that's probably the most significant. I mean, the Chargers have already lost, what, five players to ACLs at this point. So Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, obviously San Francisco now need to find who's going to be heading up that backfield so that'll be an interesting one given that they need to probably provide support pieces I think I remember on your preview of it you are kind of saying how you have faith in the team you're not sure exactly why uh, this probably doesn't help that uh, in the slightest um, yeah so we'll move on to crime and punishment what are they doing it's probably felonies uh, actually it might well be uh, Cleveland linebacker Michael Kendrick's been charged with insider trading apparently he turned like a 15,000% return in a very short period of time uh, so he's been cut by Cleveland uh, and interestingly not Carl Nassib who was giving out all of the 10% money makes money uh, over the hard knocks thing uh, so is Michael Kendrick's a big loss to them um, they were expecting him to contribute in the linebacker group but I think um, that wasn't expected to be kind of the core of that like updated, well in theory updated Cleveland defense 
So I think it's it's a loss of kind of some veteran well leadership. I don't know how much leadership you can say now, but <laughs> you know, I, I I don't think it will you know make or break that defense. It's just you know a loss of a little bit more depth. I'm uh, like you know with Cleveland the amount of players that they have. I'm sure they're hoping someone else might come true. And remember, this is the guy also who when he was rumors were that he was going to go to the Browns was extremely uh, belligerently dismissive of them, and then ended up. With the Browns. Yeah, no, of course. Um, there's a couple of other ones. Uh, the allegations around the Sean McCoy, which I believe we mentioned at the time that they came out about a former partner, uh, his children, his pets, and steroid use. He had the, the big four all together. Uh, Steve Kine was, released on, uh, was arrested on a DUI charge and pretended to be head of security to try and get out of it. I'm not sure why that would get you out of it, but I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones has been arrested on assault uh, and for criminal trespassing and a few other bits. And Brandon Browner has been charged with the attempted murder murder and uh, of his former partner as well as robbery burglary false imprisonment and a few other things yeah. uh, Ray Carruth shit like yeah. this is bonkers. it was like a strange second half of the off season there was probably less things happened but they were all a lot worse than usual um, it's not like you know, <laughs> they had a bit of weed or whatever like that or, or a DUI which obviously are not non-serious things but compared to you know attempted murder insider training and you know assault uh, attempted murder I should say you know, those are very serious allegations thrown around and we'll see how they all work out in the end. Yeah. Um, other bits of news, former Miami and Oakland head coach Tony Sperano died at 56. DeMarco Murray retired after seven seasons. Darrell Rivas officially retired. Eric Decker retired. Julius Thomas retired. Brent Selleck retired. Elvis Dumerville retired. And uh, Victor Cruz is retired and he's going to join ESPN. So uh, a lot of little retirements there and obviously the death of Tony Sperano. But... As that wraps up our first section of news. Thank God we got rid of all that stuff because there's so much of it to get through. And it's now for everyone's favourite part, our superlatives for the upcoming season, our premature congratulations. Okay, so lads, we'll start off with some of the good awards, the ones that should be positive. Uh, Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, Fitz, who have you got? Uh, Andrew Luck, primarily because uh, given how long he's away, you could plausibly claim the plot of the good Judge Red film, and by that I mean the bad one, where you know they cloned Andrew Luck because it was easier than having to actually find out whether his arm worked or not, and this is actually just the fake Andrew Luck that they put in to start. So, uh, welcome back, clone Andrew Luck. You're the best comeback player of the year this year. Excellent. Harry, yourself? Uh, I've taken David Johnson, because um, I think he's a phenomenal talent. He's going to have, I think, a great season after missing pretty much the entire year through injury. And I also think Andrew Luck is going to come back and fucking suck, so I don't think he's going to be a factor in this conversation. I have no evidence to believe that Andrew Luck is going to be able to do stuff, basically. So, yeah, I think Johnson is going to be, of the players who missed uh, all of last year, I think he's going to be the best. And he's going to be the only bright spark on a dismal, dismal team, which will make him look even better. Okay, fair enough. See, my head says Andrew Lux, I'm with you. He's loved around the league. Everyone's going to be hoping that he looks good. I think he only has to be passable, huh, passable to, uh, to, <laughs> to actually get it. But um, I'm going to go with my heart. I'm going to go with Eric Berry winning it for a second time. Uh, next up, we have breakout player. I'm going with uh, Tano Capasano, uh, Capasa from the Chiefs, the giant physical freak who had no idea how to play the position last time. Uh, so hopefully he can do it. He had a beautiful, beautiful sack in the preseason that got called back because he hit the quarterback too hard. Uh, so going with him. Fitz, who have you got? Yeah, as a preview to the entire season of punting stats, the rookie Seahawks punter, fifth round punter, Michael Dixon, our new and glorious punt god who shall rain punts from heaven and destroy all before him. 
because presumably you know Russell Wilson got sacked or something like that. Uh, so all hail our new god, Michael Dixon, breakout player of the year for the Seattle Seahawks. I I think Seattle are in for a bad season. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's good for the punter. That's true. Uh, I have controversially Alfred Morris as my breakout player of the year. Um, comeback player as well, do you think? He, he could be, he could be. Uh, I can nominate Frank Morris for everything. Spoilers, some of my later nominations. Um, look, I think he's just this is an incredibly good spot for Morris. I think he's an extremely underrated player who showed in Dallas that he still is a very effective ball carrier. He's good working with a coach who he's succeeded with in the past. I don't really rate Matt Breida that much. I think we're going to see a great season from Morris. Um, I think we're going to see him show that he can be and is a number one running back. And for me, that's a breakout after several years in the wilderness. Okay, up next we have our Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think we're all in agreement on this one. So I'll go to you, Fitz, on this. Sam Darnold. Yeah, Sam Darnold. Starting rookie quarterback. Only real competition is Saquon Barkley, and none of us are too high on him. So if a rookie quarterback has a good season, or even just a mediocre season, uh, they'll usually win this award, unless one of the other rookie quarterbacks gets in very soon. Josh Allen, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) That's about it. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, Fitz, you've gone for Roquan Smith here. Uh, why is that? Yeah, so I think, like you know, I talked about it in the, in the preview pods, I think Roquan Smith, they're bringing him in to be that kind of you know seminal inside linebacker. I think with Vic Fangio in Chicago, even though I think their offense is going to be absolute cack, I think he's going to make that defense look really good again, and Roquan Smith's going to be kind of the future engine of that. I, I trust Vic Fangio to kind of get that off, even with the relatively truncated offseason due to his contract dispute. So Roquan Smith for me for a defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, uh, myself and Harry have both gone for Derwin James. So Harry, why have you picked Derwin James? Um, I just love the, I love the talent. I love the see what he can do. He's coming into a spot where he's also surrounded. But well, I mean, minus some injuries, but is surrounded by talent in that in that defensive backfield. He's playing with guys like uh, Howard and King back there, who've been very very impressive. Part of a uh, generally they they play with three safeties a lot as well. So there's um, you know he's gonna he's gonna be moved around. He's not. Got, I don't think he's in a position where he's going to be particularly exposed. And I think there's a lot of potential for him to kind of work his way in there. I'm very impressed with what we've seen on him from him on the tape uh, from college. I mean, I know that's bullshit because college defenses suck to an extent, but I just think this is a, this is a guy who's a phenomenal talent who's about to land in a really good, strong position group um, in a scheme that's going to be quite suited to allowing him to grow and show his strength. I think we're going to see that throughout the season. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I pretty much the same. I kind of went, that's a good unit, and he has the ability to play well, so... That paired with the nice surrounding talent means you should be able to blossom there, uh, or at least <laughs> that's the hope. Uh, defensive Player of the Year, uh, I've gone with Khalil Mack because ah oh, fuck you Raiders. <laughs> uh, also, like that's a defense that has a couple of really nice pieces put together now on that uh, on that pass rush. He's going to be able to stack up behind other pass rushers, and I think that's going to help a huge amount. Uh, Fitz, you've gone with. Uh, I've gone with Aaron Donald controversial reigning uh, defensive player of the year just got a big wad of cash and he's really 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 good uh, as much as it pains me to say that as a, as a fellow NFC West fan um, so yeah 
expect him to destroy more Russell Wilson than Jimmy Garoppolo's and the rest of the league uh, and what is obviously a, a defense even better with Sue beside him to take attention away from him so next up we've got MVP uh, I think myself and Harry have gone for his boy Tom Brady I think it's kind of self-evident why I'll pick Tom Brady every year until he retires <laughs> in this section of the podcast yeah and uh, Fitz, Fitz has gone with Aaron Rodgers and let's be honest again kind of self-evident if you think they're going to have a decent year that'll be it now on to the big positive award the top long snapper and the nominations are from Harry uh, I have gone with Hunter Bradley because any long snapper who can get a pre-draft grade is the greatest long snapper of all time and then go again actually fucking drafted <laughs> top that just unbelievable excellent Fitz uh, Tyler Off because uh, the punt god will make him look like a god as well <laughs> all hail our punt god Michael yeah. Dixon um, Australian god I am, I'm just going to go for James Winchester long snapper for the Kansas City Chiefs because he's the Winchester rifle uh, we're not sure if that's actually what his nickname is but it isn't it's criminal uh, <laughs> so our next awards are into our not so good player awards so the uh, come on their back player the uh, worst defensive back I had to just google to make sure he's still in the league Philip Gaines oh god Buffalo you have no idea what you're in for uh, Philip Gaines is brutally bad um, so enjoy yeah, I've gone for Eli Apple, not just because he's not a very good defensive back, but also because he's a bad apple in the locker room. And uh, see uh, how long the, the new management will tolerate his bullshit this season. My guess, not very long. <laughs> I've gone with uh, Jason McCourty, the other McCourty twin, finally reunited with Devon in New England. I'm amazed he made it through uh, camp, to be honest with you. He has been brutal by all accounts. Um, we have seen a bit of a decline from him, but there was a thought that maybe coming into New England, it might fix it up based on what we've seen so far. Signs are not looking positive, and I, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised we've, we've kept him. He looks like he's a bit washed up at this stage, and I think he, given he'll be, well, he could be lining up as a CB2-3, he's going to get rinsed this year. Yeah, of course. Uh, next up, we have Brandon Browner, Most Flags Memorial Award. Uh, I'm going for a keep to lead. He's always been a bit of a prick. Uh, I don't see that changing. I think he's going to slow down a little bit and that's going to make him more angry about it. He's also sitting there with Marcus Peters and a number of other players like Sue who are that kind of like, if the mindset goes at all, then they can get real fighty and real kind of bad real quick. So I... I did the Rams play the Ravens this year? Because that's where Michael Crabtree is. He's <laughs> they played. I think. I think they played in the preseason. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but they said like, oh, there's no more beef there, and it's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what about yourself, Fitz? I've gone for Garrett Bowles, the uh, left tackle in Denver, only because I believe Jermaine Effetti will get dropped for uh, another offensive tackle, and therefore will split his penalties between himself and whoever ends up being replaced and probably George Fant. They'll get lots of penalties each, but not quite enough to overtake Garrett Bowles, the, the human turnstile in Denver. Uh, I've gone with Taylor Luan, who is, pains me to say, not as bad as Garrett Bowles, in fact, significantly better. But he's an angry, angry man, and I predict not only will he get the most flags, but also he will get ejected twice this season. Okay. Because that's what he does. Also, uh, we named this like the Brown and Brown Memorial Award years ago, and good lord, that off-season news really yeah. puts that into a light, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. That is, that is something. Jamarcus Russell Award for the biggest hype train crash. Harry, who have you got? I have got Josh Allen. Josh Allen fucking sucks. Josh Allen couldn't beat out Nathan Peterman. Josh Allen cannot throw the football in the direction of his own players. Like, he is trash. He looked trash in the preseason. He looked trash in camp even when he was lining up with uh, the twos and threes. He 
couldn't beat out Nathan Peterman. Yeah. But, 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 he may not be able to throw in the, in the direction of his own players, but unlike Nathan Peterman, he does not throw in the direction of the other team's players. So, he's <laughs> seen his progress for the Buffalo I, I feel you're. I feel you're making a lot of, I feel you're making a lot of assumptions here. <laughs> <laughs> there is more empty space than there is player space. Uh, he will aim for that part of the field. Um, I, uh, for reference, will be going with Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, I, I, I'm actually quite high on the Bears' defense, and I, you know, Terry Cohen and Jordan Howard are quite good, but Mitch Trubisky uh, looked really shit last. I think he's going to waste the offensive talent that he got, like Allen Robinson, and I think like Matt Nagy, like unlike, uh, unlike you know, uh, sorry, unlike um, McVeigh, you know, who had quite a long you know, track record of kind of running plays and basically owning an offense. Maneggy's kind of been thrown in, only had like half a season. I don't think he had that same breath of like knowledge or perhaps just stored up willingness to kind of have build his own plays that he'd be able to like mask Trubisky's major issues. And that Chicago team will end up like whatever they, whatever they end up being, most of the losses will be on Trubisky's back. Just like a former uh, Chicago quarterback mm. uh, called Jay. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm going with uh, Hype Train Crash, Swag Kelly. People think he might be the one to save the uh, the, the, the Broncos. Uh, I don't think so. And your great, when your great hope of, oh, our GM is actually okay at drafting quarterbacks is he's failed with all the rest of them, but this guy he got as an undrafted free agent or whatever or as a seven-pound pick, yeah, not going to happen. Uh, next up, we have the Sanchez, the most embarrassing moment. So, Fitz, who have you got? Uh, I have it that uh, when the Raiders end up firing John Gruden in his first season because he literally fucks up so hard that that like guaranteed hundred million that he probably will get regardless, uh, they'll do it anyway just because the fans will get absolutely pissed off enough. If they start off like with like multiple losses, uh, I think there might be enough pressure to fire him, and Reggie McKenzie might take on that um, that Philly type role of you know the uh, you know the vindicated GM. Put upon by the evil uh, mastermind uh, coach uh, situation. So, well, at least that's what Reggie's hoping. As uh, you'll see in my quotes, uh, I don't believe, uh, I basically expect someone to get fired in Oakland this year. It's either Gruden or McKenzie, uh, and my hope is it's Gruden. And uh, I've gone with uh, the Bills QBs, just the Bills QBs. They've been embarrassing in preseason, they were embarrassing last season, they were embarrassing in the draft and in college. They're so embarrassing that they've even managed to, by association, embarrass the Raiders even more because they traded for one of them. Oh, God, it's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. I tell you, it's not like Colin Kaepernick is going to win his collusion case. He's going to come up with like a printout of the Bills starting lineup with uh, Nathan Peterman number one and just sort of slide it across the table to the judge and be like... <clears throat> Yeah, mine is going to be when the Denver Broncos need to bring someone in and realise that absolutely none of the quarterbacks that they have are actually playable and they finally decide that they're going to have to set part ways from uh, John. This one's for you, John. Uh, next up we have you like that quote of the year. Uh, mine is going to be Sean McDermott saying we're going back to Nathan Peterman as our starter. Uh, mine is very similar. It's uh, Sean McDermott saying we have full confidence in all of our quarterback options. I have uh, well things can't get any worse coming from Reggie McKenzie I have no idea what the bad thing might be it might be like Jeff Fisher replacing John Gruden it might be him getting fired but whatever I know Reggie McKenzie's going to have to say this a lot this season because the Oakland Raiders are going to burn yeah no of course and keeping the homeless warm our dumpster fire of the year uh, for me it's the Raiders like good god it was, it was a close run thing with the Bills from earlier on but the last week with the Raiders has just done it for me and uh, just to emphasize the uh, section of low expectation awards, uh, number three for the Raiders. 
Always Raiders. <laughs> I've gone in the other direction. It was very close, and I think the Bills are going to be the dumpsteriest of fires. It won't be a dumpster, it's more a table set on fire before a man jumps off the top of a station wagon through it. Too right, too right. Uh, so I suppose we'll finalise our little bits here with our actual things. Well, I suppose there's one that's not an actual thing. So our surprise package team, the thing, the team that we think are going to surprise us a bit. Uh, I'm going with the Browns. I think they're going to have a pretty decent year. I think we have. I think I had them going around 500 this year. Uh, maybe. A little bit below, but yeah, that's that's a that's a big turnaround. Yep, one hundred percent agree. The Browns are my pick as well. I have them going eight and eight actually in the in the predictions, and I, I stand by that. I am hyped for actual football in Cleveland. Yeah, Ronan. Yeah, and I'm I'm picking the Jets uh, primarily because it'd be the second year in a row they'd probably get this award uh, based on what actually happened last year. Yeah, uh, when they didn't completely suck, and mainly because maybe they can complete the trifecta of you know the second best AFC East team getting in the wild card spot uh, and finishing this collection. That's quite interesting. Interesting. We'll go to our AFC champions. We're all going the New England Patriots. Oh, mm-hmm. this was covered before. Our NFC champions, you guys have the New Orleans Saints. I've got the Rams. And uh, Super Bowl winner, me and Harry, we've got the Pats. And Fitz, you've got the Saints. And with that, we're going to move on to our first week of actual games and preview the whole lot of them. Okay, so first up, we have Atlanta at Philadelphia. At Big opener. We're going to be missing uh, Carson Wentz for the first game, so it's big Dick Nick. They're also missing wide receivers, and one or two other players are missing. Atlanta hoping to open strong. Uh, I don't think they're the bookies' favourites, but uh, it's as close as you really get on these opening games. Uh, so I've taken Atlanta, Fitz has taken Atlanta, and Harry, you've taken Philly, so why Philly? Yeah, I was very close on this one. Um, I just really think that, well, we've seen Philly can get it done with Foles. Uh, <laughs> fuck. But... Um, <laughs> Like I, I think the Philly strength. It's a bigger risk than your Oakland uh, seven and nine prediction. Uh, it was eight and eight actually, eight and eight for Oakland, which was still like about eight wins too many. Um, look, I just think that the, what we've seen from this Philly team, the key strength has really been on uh, two things. Firstly, on the defensive side of the ball, which I don't think is impacted by this, and I still think is very strong and still matches up well against an Atlanta Falcons offense that I think is still going to take a little while to find its stride given all of the upheaval and changes and ineffective, ineffective things we saw last year. I believe over the season those will pan out, but the first week is not where we're going to see that remedied. But also, I think what we've like even in the absence of Alshon Jeffrey and so on, we've seen huge steps up from the likes of Aguilar, and we've seen them be able to diversify the running game to make up for um, things there. And I just think Atlanta are still going to be coming out of the tail end of a transitional period, whereas Philly are still what we basically, even without Wentz, this is still the team we saw win the Super Bowl. So on that basis, and given that they're at home, I'll give them the edge on this one, although it is quite close. Fitz, Atlanta? Yeah, like I'm quite high on Atlanta. Um, and obviously, you know, we see the series and we all talked about how they got better towards the back end of the season. And obviously we're quite close to toppling New Orleans in the playoffs. I think it's just, it's a situation where Atlanta, obviously the one year move from 28-3, and three, um, they're looking to kind of re-establish themselves. I think this is a perfect chance uh, for that organization to make a statement, especially with Nick Foles looking very shaky in the preseason. I know preseason doesn't matter, but uh, I think Nick Foles is definitely the kind of player that when there's expectations and a team has basically the entire, like, basically a month to prepare for you, he'll get shown up and Atlanta will have enough talent across their entire team uh, to make it count even away from home. I think pretty much that. I also think that we're getting to the point where, uh, where we're actually going to see this defense be a bit quicker, be bedded into the system and probably see an even more effective Falcons defence. So I'm excited to see 
them in this game. Uh, next up, we have Cincinnati at Indianapolis. We've taken Cincinnati across the board in this. Uh, like we said, basically, Indianapolis not looking the strongest of late. Uh, we have to see what's going to happen with Andrew Luck. But Ronan, you've picked this for your game of the week. So do you want to tell us yeah. a bit about it? Yeah, so like, uh, it's, almost, it's almost too early. But I'm kind of interested in that kind of, you know, outside of New England, outside of the Steelers, and obviously, like the AFC South, there's a lot of teams competing against each other. Um, there's always like one or two teams who end up competing at the end of the season for like that last wild card spot, who are a bit of a surprise. And I think Cincinnati and Indianapolis are both well placed to, based on the kind of preseason form, to perhaps be those teams. I think obviously Indianapolis, they get Andrew Luck back. That's a massive change, and we know that Chris Ballard has been doing a, like a solid enough job of like reconstructing that roster into something decent. Now they've had issues with injuries across the offensive line, so we see if they can recover from that. But I'm I'm very interested to see what Andrew Luck is like. You know, if, if he has the connection with T.Y. Wilton that he used to have, that could be huge. Uh, but obviously there's huge question marks there in Indianapolis. And with Cincinnati, obviously Marvin Jones somehow managed to survive again, but they managed to have a fairly decent offseason. Got rid of some of kind of the older players who've been troublemakers uh, traditionally like Pac-Man Jones. They like trade for Cordy Glenn. They obviously recognize that the offensive line was an issue last season and they've taken steps to try and rectify that. We'll see if that can stick and whether like one of Obege or Jake Fisher can actually be a decent defensive tackle on the right side. So I think like Cincinnati, we saw Andy Dalton a couple of seasons ago. He did some really good things if John Ross if Tyler Eifert if all these kind of shots they've taken on the offense can combine with AJ Green and like uh, and Joe Mixon obviously as well then that could make that offense something like that unit we saw a few years ago and Andy Dalton looked really good at that point as kind of a point guard type quarterback so Cincinnati they're kind of one of these teams that's kind of come under the radar as they generally tend to and it'll be interesting to see whether they can build on uh, what seemed to be a decent uh, offseason and do something here and both of these teams could definitely be in that wildcard hunt just because the AFC is so weak relative to the NFC so it'll be interesting to see which of these teams can have a decent start off and kind of start to build uh, towards perhaps uh, regaining some of the uh, legitimacy they had just a few years ago no of course and uh, next up we have Buffalo at Baltimore uh, we've all taken Baltimore across the board in this one I think it's a fairly straightforward thing Nathan Fuckland Peterman is playing Baltimore tend to have a good defense they're at home they've got some nice pieces we'll see whether or not Joe Flacco is able to play up to a lot of what they've been saying in the preseason about him looking better, looking quicker. Uh, like overall, I just struggle to see, and we've discussed this a number of times over the off season, how Buffalo win games this year. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, like to be honest, I think just across the board, Baltimore done. Uh, next up, Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Uh, do you want to tell us? We've all taken New Orleans in this one, obviously. Uh, so, do you want to tell us why, Harry? Yeah. Well, I think you've, you've heard my opinion on Tampa Bay in the uh, preview pod. But I think this is actually the worst team in the league or it's going to have the worst record in the league I don't think they're the worst team in the league but I think they're in a tougher division than others um, yeah look New Orleans we've seen what they've done they've turned that defense around that offense is still running incredibly smoothly they, we know the, the, the loss of Mark Ingram will be perhaps a problem but they seem to have found something in Boston Scott it just looks incredibly strong and Tampa Bay have pretty much nothing going for them they're a team in chaos they're a team that look like they will crumble under pressure and at opening night against what is in my view, the strongest team in their division it is not going to set them off on the right foot. I think they're going to get absolutely hockeyed. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have Houston at New England. We're taking New England across the board here. To be honest, I actually had a little bit of thought about this one, mostly because you know, quite often New England start a little bit slower when they're figuring out their, their how wh- what way they're going to be a new and more troublesome offense this year. <laughs> uh, they're on the road. 
Uh, oh no, sorry, they're not there at home actually, so that's less of an issue. Houston are going to be an interesting one. We're not sure exactly what we're going to get out of them because they had big, explosive plays from their quarterback and they had a number of injured defensive stars who are all returning, hopefully to play up to their level, but we don't know if they will. The problem is, it's Bill Belichick, it's Tom Brady, it's Gronk, it's just... It's, it's a fucking machine that keeps churning out championships and I don't see how Houston on the road are going to best them so New England across the board uh, Sam Fran at Minnesota we've taken Minnesota across the board Fitz do you want to tell us why? Yeah so I think we're all pretty high in Minnesota we know it's a pretty complete team and obviously our Kirk Cousins in there um, Sam Fran they obviously have Jimmy Garoppolo we all love Jimmy Garoppolo but the rest of that team is you know it's not bad but it's not up to that same level Minnesota's a team ready to charge uh, for a Super Bowl shot and I just think like the holes that exist in that San Francisco thing will get shown up, particularly in that secondary. Like I think Thielen and Diggs are going to have a pretty good day. Uh, and yeah, I don't think San Fran can hold can hold a candle to a team this good. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, let's see, what have we got up next? We've got Tennessee at Miami. Uh, we've all gone for Tennessee, although I was uh, this is a game that I'm not really interested in watching. Harry, why have we gone for Tennessee? Well, I think Tennessee are just a better team than Miami at this point. I mean, Miami have got Tannehill coming back after another uh, lost season. Um, we have we don't know who their starting running back is. Um, they've lost talent across the field, as far as I'm concerned, whereas Tennessee are fine. They're boring. They're Tennessee. Mm. They should be able to beat a, a Dolphins team that is, again, in, in a really weird, unstable place right now. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we talked over the offseason as well about how we just have no idea what the plan is in Miami. So mm. like, we'll mm. see what happens there. Uh, next up, we've got the Jacksonville Jaguars at the New York Giants. We've all gone for the Giants. The, no, we've all gone for the Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars. Uh, Roland, tell us why. Yeah, like I think we all go for the Jaguars because we saw that defense being so good last season, and obviously we know New York Giants like that offensive line hasn't really got much better. Like Nate Solder's an upgrade, but no one expects him to. Like he's a bit overpaid, busy for like a, a decent left tackle, and I think we expect him to overwhelm. But like you know, the Giants are obviously a team that made a lot of investments on the offense. It's like one Barkley, uh, and are picked by a lot of things. So I don't think it's you know a gimme for Jacksonville. Obviously with Blake Bortles existing, um, but I think in this thing like that defence and that offensive line should give them enough to kind of grind it out and maybe even Bortles might be more like he was towards the end of the season rather than you know uh, you know basic Bortles basically (laughs) (laughs) Uh, next up is Harry's pick for game of the week Pittsburgh at Cleveland obviously Pittsburgh perennial power in the AFC Cleveland everyone's hyped on them with the changes in the offseason and following up from the bounce that every team gets following hard knocks Uh, myself and Harry uh, myself and Fitz have gone for Pittsburgh but Harry you've gone for Cleveland tell us a bit about this game Cleveland yeah like Firstly, let's let's consider a couple of things. Um, Pittsburgh struggled in the opening day game against Cleveland last season when Cleveland didn't win any games. Pittsburgh struggle against bad teams or teams that they underestimate, shall we say. They played down to the level of competition, particularly on the road. Cleveland are much, much better than they were. They have made additions across the field, which I'll come to momentarily. And Pittsburgh might not have Le'Veon Bell coming into this game. That's huge, and we've seen the difference that can make. This is, psychologically, Cleveland win this game is massive. I think this, this is huge for Hugh Jackson, this is huge for the players, this is huge for the staff, it's huge for Josh Gordon, Tyrod Taylor. There are so many people looking to prove themselves right now. Whereas Todd Pittsburgh... Todd, Todd Haley. Todd Haley revenge game. Obviously, you cannot underestimate the narrative of the Todd Haley... The, the, but, like, this is genuinely... 
I just have this feeling that Pittsburgh are going to come in, they're going to slow, they're bloated, they've really lost what has become pretty much their plan A2 on offense. There's question marks around Roethlisberger's dedication and health, as there always, always are. They, they still haven't really replaced Ryan Shazier on that defense. This is a game team they've struggled to beat last season. And I think Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland have improved massively. You've got the return of Josh Gordon. You've got Carlos Hyde now. Um, they've made improvements on the defense. Like, I just think this, is a, this, this, this screams trap game, you know, for Pittsburgh. Mm. And I think that's what it's going to be. I think we're going to see something that's going to really, really shock people. And I think we're going to see Cleveland just be able to overpower a Pittsburgh team that I just think is going to be really continue to be, as it has been with Roethlisberger at the helm, flaky. Yeah, I'm up imagining like Ben Roethlisberger coming onto the field, like a half-eaten sandwich in his <laughs> hand. Like, oh yeah, it's just the Browns. Like, oh, this is this be easy. Uh, but uh, maybe James Con- Connor, the Terminator, can uh, revive their uh, run game without Lev Bell there. Yeah. We shall see. It'll probably be out of date by the time this goes out. But <laughs> <laughs> we shall see in the future. Yeah. Of yesterday. Ah, yeah, sure, we'll see. We'll hopefully have this out in advance of the game. <laughs> yeah, I'll might, go into Thursday night. Uh, yeah, but uh, actually, we'll see. Uh, next up is my pick of the week, Kansas City at the LA Chargers. Uh, we've gone for the LA Chargers across the board. It was a hard pick for me to make, but I had to decide with the fact that, look, that is an incredible-looking team on paper. No one's... Well, there's only two or three injuries so far. Um, uh, it's just... It, I want to see what this LA Chargers team look like. I want to see what the defense is looking like because they've added some nice pieces there as well. It, it's it's an exciting group to be watching. It's also as a KC fan and I think as a, just a general fan, it'll be interesting to see what this KC offense looks like. I'm expecting there to be growing pains. I'm expecting this, given the quality of the defense from the Chargers, to be one that's going to be a difficult game. Uh, but like I I hemmed and hawed about putting the Chiefs in just because the Chargers haven't beaten us in like four years. Um, and fuck it, I'm going to change it. I'm going to go for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, hey. Why not? Why not? Why not? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a boat race, I think. And the problem is I can see uh, Mahomes making some mistakes early on and that being an issue. So, uh, so that's why I was going LA Chargers. But fuck it, I believe Kansas City all the way. Uh, next up... On the rational side of that argument, right now the Chargers are just a better team than the Chiefs. Yeah, they are. Definitely. 100% on paper. Uh, but it's not clean on paper! <laughs> Speaking of, I will see my pick in the next game. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have <laughs> Dallas at Carolina. My, I've gone from Carolina. Fitz has gone for Carolina. Harry's gone for Dallas. Tell us about that. Me? Yep. Uh, look, this is just the kind of game Carolina loses. The kind of game Carolina should win easily, and that's the kind of game this Carolina Panthers team under Ron Rivera has lost. That's it. That's the reason for the pick. It's a gut thing. It's a game that they should win against a mediocre opponent. And this is the kind of game over the last few seasons that the Carolina Panthers have just choked away at home. Yeah, but Carolina have Cam Newton. Uh, Dallas uh, do not. <laughs> That's literally the only reason they ever support the Carolina Panthers, to be honest, at the moment. It's Cam Newton will do magic by himself at home. Uh, Greg Olson's out there so he can actually throw it to someone. Next up, we have the Mazungus at Arizona. Uh, we're going to take the Mazungus across the board here. Alex Smith is there whether or not you rate Adrian Peterson or not. Uh, they've got some weapons. They've got players on defense, if not proven players on defense. Arizona look to be a tire fire. Uh, I don't expect anything out of them. I think their line is probably going to get their quarterbacks killed. Uh, is there anything to add to that other than 
No. Watch the amazing degenerating knees live on TV. Yeah, Jesus, it's going to be. I, I, I don't imagine he's going to last all that long. <laughs> Next up, Seattle at Denver. Uh, I've gone for Seattle. Harry's gone for Seattle. And bizarrely, Fitz has gone for Denver. So, Harry, why have you gone for Seattle? Oh, I'm speaking of quarterbacks going to get murdered behind their line. Uh, both of these quarterbacks are going to get murdered behind <laughs> their line. Um, yeah, like I, 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 I don't massively rate Seattle this season but I think Denver are again just a, a mess of a team right now I think they're deficient pretty much across the board um, we've seen a lot of talent leave they have no answer at quarterback I don't have a lot of faith in their running backs I, I, I just think and their O-line is, is terrible so I think if there's any team that um, is going to like go sack for sack given up with Seattle it's going to be these guys uh, and I just think that, that as problematic as Seattle have it I think Denver are a more talent efficient worse coached team at this point yeah 100% uh, Fitz why do you think your boys are going to lose well of course don't forget this is the epic punting battle of all time uh, Michael Dixon our new lord and saviour in Seattle of punting and of course Marquette King the spited son from Oakland uh, heading off in what will be a lot of punts according to Harry and I don't disagree on that either um, <laughs> in terms of why Denver will win obviously they have a massive advantage of mile high due to the you know the altitude and issues like that um, but I also just think like Denver is the kind of team I think is going to get worse as the season goes on primarily as like as attrition happens they won't really have they, don't, they haven't really done a good enough job bringing people through whereas Seattle are currently in a high flux situation and will probably look good towards the end of the season when some of that young talent comes through but might be shown up early on even with the relatively uh, you know placid approach of Case Keenum so I think like Seattle did put up a good fight there'll be hope there but I think Denver in mile high uh, for two teams that are fairly you know both kind of in flux I'll give to Denver yeah no it's fair enough next up is the late game Chicago at Green Bay this is a more interesting game now that Mac is there but I don't know if he'll be there long enough to really be able to add a huge amount to it so we're going Green Bay across the board here Aaron Rodgers is back they're gonna they look like they're gonna be an excellent team uh, Chicago there's a lot of question marks new coaching staff uh, trying to bet in the second year quarterback trying to bring in the new defensive pieces I think they're probably one that'll be rounding more into form around week four rather than week one especially on the road to a divisional rival as good as the Green Bay Packers I can't see them doing anything else uh, next up we have the Jets at Detroit we've gone for Detroit across the board Harry why is that yeah, I, I just don't have a lot of faith in the in the Jets at the moment. I think Detroit are looking like look. They might have a running game, which will be exciting. They might not equally, but that's not held them back in the past. Uh, I think between Tate Jones and Kenny Galladay, they have a very exciting receiving core. Uh, we know Matt Stafford can pull anything out of his ass when it comes down to the fourth quarter. The Jets, I, I just think again the problems aren't solved. I think that Darnold, if he uh, does perform impressively, I don't think it's going to be to start the season. We're having a fucking defense run. In the draft? Yes, we are having a run on defences. Why? Um, I don't know. I just joined in because I was, wasn't really paying attention. Fair enough. Uh, I was considering drafting a kicker, actually, just to piss you off. Um, but, Fair enough. Uh, no, basically, the player I want, I was going to get went, and I didn't come up with a backup plan, so I just took a defence. And now everyone's taking a defence. Uh, it's weird. I don't know what's happening. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, yes, Detroit, better than the Jets. Yeah, just about. Uh, finally, Matt Stafford is what... Uh, young uh, Darnold wants to be in maybe five years time yeah less shoulder injuries hopefully and last up we have the LA Rams at Oakland we've gone for the Rams across the board do we really need to go into it like guys Oakland fucking tire right. fire how many points uh, by 25 points. I'm going to say yeah, how many of those 31 defense points 
I'm going to say like, the oh, Rams are going to win by 31. Marcus Peters getting multiple pick six. So there's your, uh, there's your uh, prediction for the week. Put your money on that. How many points, Fitz? Oh, uh, over 9,000. Over 9,000, okay. <laughs> that seems legit. For the meme. Um, so, so yeah that's going to wrap it up for this week I suppose uh, like I say get us on the email or on the Facebook or the Pornhub or wherever for the comments and the questions and we'll be taking some of your questions from next week onwards again uh, but yeah I suppose for this week well we have a, a shout out oh we do indeed we have to give a shout out to our boy do you want to give the details yeah so uh, one of our friends uh, Richard has been a fairly accomplished musician in his time and uh, that funky new opening and new outro that you will be about to hear are courtesy of him so thank you very much richard really appreciate it we were uh, just using some uh, free licensed music which is pretty generic and now we've actually got our own thing thing made for us so really really appreciate that man thanks yeah it was great uh so only crack for the rest of the week obviously we're going to be getting ruined watching the football on sunday that's basically the plan yeah yeah it should be good uh what about yourself it's any guys crack down in cork in the next few days no it's pretty quiet uh be working away for the next while and uh, yeah football to get us through the the late, uh, well, the, the autumn feeling, feelings. Yeah, no, that'll do. Uh, so I suppose it'll do for this week. So it's bye from myself, bye from Harry. Bye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. This hey. has been all four quarters. It's back, it's back. Let's go football! Woo! Football!